Thank you for joining Big Boss Mare with Brandy Von Holten today. Today's guest is one of the easiest cowgirls in the world to love and cheer on as she blazes her own path in the equine industry, Lauren McCain. She is on the Country Tough Trail Versatility National Board, a certified judge, a horsemanship and mulemanship clinician, an equine breeder, and just an all-around friend to the equine species. Even though Lauren is young, she is respected and valued by all ages. You just cannot help but love her because of her authenticity and positive outlook. I enjoy helping Lauren McCain get introduced to the world in any way that I can. With Lauren being the go-getter she is, I have no doubt the roles will be flipped one day and she will be the one introducing me. Get ready world, here's Lauren McCain. Welcome back to Big Boss Mare with Brandy Von Holten. Today I have someone with me by the name of Lauren McCain. Okay, so Lauren has been uh, with Von Holten Ranch for a couple of years, and now she is about to embark upon the next chapter in her life. Okay, so Lauren uh, answered a Facebook post of mine where I was looking for judges. Okay, so she came on board and she um figured out judging she had a great background in it and now she was actually invited to be a one of the members of our country tough trail versatility um national advisory board okay so um let me lauren um has got a background in showing and now she's just now began showing again but then she wants to be um, in the equine world, she wants to be a breeder. So she's actually wanting to create mules. Yes, ma'am. All right. So let's start with your previous competition history. So because I've seen pictures of you in English attire and Western attire, I've seen you on horses, I've seen you on mules. So what the heck have you been doing in the past? <laughs> Um, Well, I started riding when I was a whopping four years old, and I started out on the 4-H circuit doing about any kind of riding I can. Basically, someone had an opening in the trailer. I was going and riding. Um, Started off with horses, and then a couple years down the road, had a friend that was once like, hey, do you want to come ride mules with me? And I said, yep, and then I got hooked. So I have done anything from the jumper ring to the hunter ring, western pleasure, reining, ranch, Um, just gotten into obstacles again. Anything that you could ride a horse in, I have ridden it in. Well, and you know what? I told everybody that you had answered a Facebook post about judging, but I actually knew you before you started judging for us because you had competed here in extreme cowboy racing on a mule. On a mule, yep. That was our first competition, actually. Okay, and it was here. So it's it's kind of weird. Like, I, I feel like a lot of times I'm kind of like a collector of people, <laughs> you know, and uh, <clears throat> we, we get to meet all sorts of people, and then they, um, like, I have one lady that she came to um, train with one of our, it's a clinician that comes here. His name's Lee Hart, and she only came to Lee Hart's clinic for a couple of years, and now, last year, she went to a Chicks in the Sticks, and now her grandson and her, they're going to do my entire Country Tough Trail versatility thing, and they they started taking clinics. So people and their roles change with us. It's really cool. Like the cool ones is uh, whenever they'll do horse competitions, and then they're part of a wedding, you know? So uh, people's role with us changes, it seems like. So you started with a competition here, and then you came over and become a judge. So, tell it why, 
why do you have this passion towards uh, breeding? Um, it all started out because I had a very good friend of mine that was breeding paints, and she was kind of going against the norm of breeding and trying to better the breed. And it was really cool to see her try to match up these mares and these studs together to try to improve this breed. Um, so that's kind of where my passion really started, was trying to make these horses these better equine partners for us and improve their attitudes, improve their longevity, improve the gates, the way they move. And the fact that it all starts with a mare and a stud and you, you were in control of that. Like, that just was really, really interesting to me. Um, genetics played a huge role into that. Um, so that's where it kind of started. All right, so we're on a three-week rotation here. We have one where it's the someone from the equine industry. The second week is someone that's not from the equine industry, typically like a business leader. And then the third week is myself, where I talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Okay, so for the people that are listening to this that are not equine people, let's explain what the heck a mule is. So a mule is part donkey and part horse and a mule is the fact where the dad is a donkey and then the mama is a horse or a mare okay all right now what happens if you switch the roles of the if you have like a male horse and a female donkey we call that a henny okay so it has like a completely different name completely different name have you ever rode a henny i have ridden two hennies okay uh, like, dislike, what you think, anything? I wasn't a huge fan of them, but the mule industry right now is just starting to put together, putting nice mares with nice jacks. It used to be like if you had an old broken down mare in the back pasture and might have gotten in with your donkey and created a mule. We are just now, and that's what ex- is exciting about the mule industry, we're just now starting to produce these amazing mules with some amazing mares. Hennies haven't gotten to that point. So they're still kind of backyard breeding. Um, there are some breeders out there that are some really trying to push hennies. Um, so the hennies that I rode, I don't think were from the best stock. Okay. All right. So just so if if you're following me on Facebook or if you've um, seen us on our website or Pinterest, I actually have two mules. I have a Missouri Foxtrotter mule um, named Jojo. And then I have a much taller one that is a Tennessee Walker mule, and her name is Coco. So a lot of people, um, I've had people in my life that were completely against mules because you're actually breeding two different species of animal. Okay, so like a horse has 64 chromosomes, and a donkey has 62 chromosomes. So whenever you blend those two, you end up with an animal with 63 chromosomes. So what does that mean for a mule? That means for a mule that they are sterile, so they cannot reproduce. So them being a hybrid, they could not go then and have a baby or make a baby. Okay. Well, my mule Jojo sure is trying, (laughs) okay? Trying's half the effort. (laughs) Yeah, Jojo... I, you know what, um, I write children's books, and in JoJo's book, you know, I had to make sure and keep it PG, but he loves the ladies. Like, if one horse is mean to him, then he's like, I love her. Okay. <laughs> JoJo loves the ladies so much that I got a, a piece of my tack called a latigo, which connects to their girth that goes underneath their stomach to hold the saddle on. I was just jacking around on Facebook, and I found one that has pinups <laughs> so jojo has pinup girls on his latigo you know i thought that was great and luckily you know everybody's covered up and everything it's pretty funny though but anyways and he is such a character jojo actually drinks beer 
Does he really? Mm-hmm. It's got to be Coors Light, got to be cold, got to be from a bottle. Oh, okay. Does he tip it up? Yes, he does oh, tip that it up. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> shotgun and, one. Oh, my God. And then Coco is not... She is not the animal that he is. Coco, if the sun is behind us and it's making our shadow, um, her shadow scares her. So the other day she saw her shadow and she's like, oh, heck no, that thing is following me around. What is this? (laughs) And then she moved her own ear. And I promise you that mule dropped down and 90 degreed me so freaking fast. And then I'm over here like, you're afraid of your shadow. So it was going to get her. Oh yeah, most definitely. So tell me, what are some differences in training a horse versus a mule? So the difference between training a horse and a mule is going to be the fact that you can't bully a mule into doing anything. So some horses you can kind of, after hours and hours and hours, you can bully them into doing a situation or just force them into doing a mule. You can't. All right. So you can't bully them into something. So give us an example. So, like, um, I'm big into obstacles. So, like, say you're going to a bridge. A horse, they might be like, "Mm, I'm not sure about this. Shy away a little bit. Well, with a little bit more leg and effort, you could just probably get them across it. A mule, you have to make it their idea. So, you have to be like, oh, no, this bridge is going to be the easiest way for you to cross. It's going to be the quickest point from A to B and B being the stall. Okay. All right. So, this sounds like the way I get my husband to do things. I've got to make it his idea. So I've had a lot of people compare that, actually. <laughs> a lot of clients have been like, oh, this is how I talk to my husband. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> got to make it his idea. And be like, honey, you know what? That If we had a boarding barn, then, you know, I wouldn't have to go catch the horses all the time. We could just get them up the night before. Man, that sounds like such a good idea. Know, man, if only we had a if boarding only, barn. only, gosh. Oh. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Everybody always messes with my husband and I because, like, I was a heavyweight fighter, and they always joke around and say, I bet she wears the pants in the family. And I'm like, (laughs) you're so dumb because I make David homemade bread. He opens the door for me every time I go. I mean, like, there's that stuff doesn't um, bleed over into our relationship (laughs) at all. So... Anyways, okay, so tell us about their ears. Like, what's the deal with the ears? So they get that, it's them being a hybrid, they're really a mix of both the donkey and the horse, so they get more of the donkey ears. Now, their ears won't be quite as big as the donkeys, but they'll definitely get there. Okay, and you know what? You know, my experience with mules is that they love me to dig up in those things. They want me to love on them and rub them, and they want me to touch their ears. Is that the way it is with all mules? Yeah, so I had an old cowboy once tell me, if you want a mule to be your friend, go scratch their ear and their butt. Okay. And that is 10 out of 10 way you'll make a friend. (laughs) Scratch my ear and scratch my butt, and we're going to be friends. Friends for life. (laughs) So, Lauren, tell me, um, you know, whenever we started – I. I enjoy co-teaching with Lauren, and we began doing clinics together, which has been really nice because they're shorter clinics, and it's really nice to be able to have another person to bounce ideas off of, and one person can go set up stuff, or, you know, we can, it's kind of nice because I can have Lauren go and help direct someone in, some, in like an activity like where we're working on transitions, and then I can go over and talk to people about things that I saw that they needed to work on on their run that they just finished. So, Lauren, you have now started teaching clinics all by yourself. 
All right, so pros and cons of co-teaching versus teaching the clinic all by yourself, other than the obvious of you don't have to split the income. Yep. Okay, so that right there is a lot nicer. So tell me um, the different, like, pros and cons. Um, so cons to teaching a clinic by yourself, always get the bad out of the way. Um, you do not have that second person to build on. Um, I find when we're co-teaching, like, one of us can kind of take a break because after talking for even an hour and using – a higher range of voice and yelling a little bit um your voice gets tired but not hey I want to clarify she's not yelling at people angrily she's you know like they're across the arena and she's just just trying to volume up your voice right um so not having that break is nice um I do find that I don't drink as much water if I'm not co-teaching with someone because Mm -hmm. I'm always like I want to work 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 um pros is that uh, I don't have that person to bounce ideas off of, so there's never any two opinions coming at you, even if they might not mean to be opposite opinions, they still right. could be. Um, it kind of, if it flows a little bit better with you and yourself because you're the only person making the decision about how the clinic flows, um, but then again, you also have to make that decision on how the clinic's going to flow versus just having a person to be like, okay, I'm going to do this, what are you going to do? Um, so there's definitely pros and cons. I definitely like when um, I'm teaching clinics with Brandy. I've taught clinics with a couple other people, and Brandy is definitely my favorite. I feel like we build off of each other. We're both very bright and happy people, so we can keep things going and keep it light, and I really do feel like our trainings kind of line up together to the fact that um, I can kind of complete what she's trying to say or she can kind of complete what I'm trying to say, and it's not coming off in the wrong way. Right. You know, I... uh it's it's easier for me to uh, teach a clinic all by myself because I have this large alpha personality, yep. and it's easier for me to be like, bah, 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 we're going to do this, this, this right here. And then whenever I'm teaching with Lauren, I have to remind myself, okay, Lauren's driver right now. I'm the passenger. And then... I'm like, oh, this is nice, but I have. To, it's really hard for me to take that step back because I'm just used to being in charge of our facility and stuff. Um, for co-teaching, the only I've only co-taught with one other person, and it worked well with that person. It was uh, Teresa Rankin, and she and I. Um, her the, the way that she teaches and the terminology, she's um, different than I am with her tom- terminology and stuff. But I I felt like I wanted to be a student. More than that's awesome. Than a, an instructor beside her, so yeah, she works a lot with Mustangs, and she's just really um, got a good feel. She her feel is better than my feel. Like whenever, um, just where the weight of the horse is, and she's I don't know. I uh, I needed to be a student and part of the clinic, so. You know, and then you're always worried when you're co-teaching, you don't want to ever be, like, showed up or be wrong. Yeah, there is that pressure. Yeah, there is that pressure. But, like, you know, a lot of people cannot co-teach. You know what I mean? They're too headstrong's not the word to just you know independence not the word it's just it's really hard to be like all right we're working on this and kind of take that step back yeah it is hard but it is nice to be able to because mm-hmm. like <clears throat> to be able to have those um one-on-one conversations while instruction's yep. still going on anyways we always i like doing our um co-teaching before we have a CT2V, which stands for Country Tough Trail Versatility Weekend, that's been so beneficial, and it's just the two-hour classes. This right here, last year, I was able to actually find that I love teaching 
trail clinics. Yep. Teaching a clinic actually on the trail of helping people navigate actual natural terrain. I that's where I excel. What is your favorite type of clinic to teach? I won't lie. I do see the benefit in the trail, and I love going out on the trail. But I love the horsemanship clinics. Mm-hmm. I love the pattern clinics. I I am that is a passion of mine is creating that bond and those little exercises and stuff. Um, that is definitely where I love to do it. But I have seen. It's a 50-50 split. I see the benefit in the trail because we can talk about, okay, well, when this happens out on the trail or when this happens on the trail versus actually going out there and helping these clients walk through that with their horse has been super beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a 50-50 split on that. You know, something that I've noticed is a lot of times people will learn something in the arena and they can do these amazing things. And then when they go on the trail... It's like they're a completely different rider. Yep. They don't think about um, sitting balanced in their seat. They don't think about not looking down. They don't think about where their horse is actually walking. Yeah, they don't think about anything. They're just kind of like, oh, we're not riding now. They're like, passengers. Ooh, girl, that was <laughs> that was that was exactly right. They are passengers. So I like teaching on trail because it feels like instead of having two different languages that your horse has to know, then it's just one. Yep. Yeah, correct horsemanship on the trail is great. It's something that, that's uh, besides mounted archery, which mounted archery is very specific, I really love teaching that, um, but trail classes are my favorite. And Western dressage. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I like what a weird combination and I do this, We, I do, my favorite uh, dressage animal is my Tennessee Walker mule. My favorite mounted archery animal is my Missouri Foxtrotter. And my favorite trail animal is my quarter horse. <laughs> so, and you know what's funny is mules are supposed to be yeah, good on trail. they're supposed tra- to be the trail bosses. Oh, yeah, no, JoJo is, JoJo's fancy. And then Coco, she drops it down in four low every time we go up a hill. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to fall out of this saddle. Like, go faster. 16-hand mule just dropping it down. Oh, my God. It, it's literally like you're somebody's videoing us, and they put it in slow-mo. And I'm like, I have to reach up and grab her breast collar because I'm falling. I'm sliding <laughs> backwards, and I'm like, Coco, go. So, all right, mules, have you ever had one? That was not good at something. Yes. So the first mule I actually ever owned, ever bought, uh, was from a friend of mine. And I will tell you, the first thing I do is I go up to pick up this mule, and it takes me seven hours to load her. Oh. Yeah, first mule I ever bought. And I was like, mm, what did I do? <laughs> and then this mule was completely, she was only halter broke, so I did all the groundwork. And she hated arena work. Hated it with the passion. And I love arena work. I love right. working in the arena. Um, so she hated, she would get so sour and so mean in the arena, but as soon as you took her out on the trail, she was happy as a clam and her current owner trail rides all the time, takes her camping. That's her go-to mule. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, my first mule was Jojo and Jojo had, uh, not, he had been rode a lot one year and the next year, just a few times. And then the following year, like they just got on him twice in the pasture. So, uh, yeah, we had to work on some stuff. (laughs) And then uh, he put me on the ground. He put my husband on the ground. Um, He put my husband on the 
on the ground on the second day that we owned him. Oh, nice. Go JoJo. JoJo's mane is completely roached, which means shaved off. And uh, I thought JoJo was going to be just like perfect. So I put David on him bareback. Oh. And and then and then a cat ran out from underneath. A scary, me. vicious, mule-eating cat. Oh, yeah. I'm so sure. he bucked David off. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> We just laughed. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and that story, actually, the complete story makes it into JoJo's book. Okay, so he put David on the ground once. Then I've actually hit the ground twice from JoJo. So one time was we were into grass over my knee, like that high of yep. grass. And my dog, who is a blue healer, um, who is um, obsessive, compulsive about being super close to me, she ran underneath his stomach in that oh. tall grass. So he put me in the dirt and then proceeded to chase her for like 15 oh. minutes to try to get her. And then the other time that I came off of JoJo was last year. We were running. We were uh, cantering circles and my saddle came off, which that was <clears throat> that was awkward because everything was great. Then I'm over here like, am I falling? I think I'm falling. Then <laughs> Why I'm like, is my mule over there? I'm like, I'm falling off. What is going on? Then I'm like, oh my God. And then the saddle's like a wreck because it was just my <laughs> latigo that came undone. Oh but boy. Like, yeah, but he was fine. I mean, it was like, he just stopped and like looked at me and I'm over here like, dude, I Did this really happen? <laughs> so I don't blame him for the, the dog. And most definitely don't blame me for my saddle coming off. Good God. <laughs> that just thing. The latigo just came undone a little bit, and I just came off. But other than that, I've had a great experience with my mules. They have such a personality. Like, my horses are more like a, I view them more like a tractor, like a, a piece of equipment that I have to do something. But the mules, I view them as like a dog, like a bigger mm-hmm. dog. They, like, love you. So, yep. what is your experience with horses versus mules? Well, that's kind of why I switched over to mules. That's what really drove me to it was I rode this big mule named Price, and I took him to a show down in Springfield, Missouri called um, Ozark Mule Days, and it was our second show ever, and we walked in to do the keyhole race, which they drew the keyhole down to the end of the arena, so basically run down and turn around in a circle, and they drew it, they put it down in white baking powder, and okay. my, yeah, you oh. kind of know where this is going. <laughs> so I'm just trotting on down and I'm just happy as can be. And we get down there and he spooks at the white powder. It was going to get him. And then we finally get in there, turn around and the dirt he kicked, kicked some of the white powder. Oh, and he absolutely lost it. Took off with me. And that's actually how I got hooked on mules. <laughs> As messed up as that sound, he had just such a personality. And then I got off of him, and he was so ashamed. Like, he was so sorry that he ran away from the scary white powder. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. He just wanted to crawl up in my lap. He was like, I'm so sorry. And I was, I was like, afraid of the flower. Yeah, I was like, okay, buddy. <laughs> um, oh so God. I just, I, again, I'm going to build. They just have personalities on them, and I love that. Each mule is their own mule. There's never going to be two mules that are the same mule. And you just have to, it's like a little challenge for me. It's a puzzle. Like that's how I think about it. It's a puzzle of what can I put the pieces together to get this working relationship with them. And I love it. I love it. It always keeps things interesting. Okay. So, all right. So Lauren teaches clinics. She's competed in the past. And then you just competed recently. So tell us about that competition. Well, and how did it feel to take that gap off from competing and then going back into Oof. it? 
So the last time I competed, um, I was not teaching. I was not any sort of professional. I was just kind of a nobody in the background, and I loved it because no one really knew who I was. And I went and competed at the um, Houston Livestock Show Mule and Donkey, which is probably some of the best mule trainers in the USA go to that show. And it was definitely weird because I had to compete in open because I get paid. And I was going against mules that were probably thirty, forty thousand dollar mules, clipped up show mules. And I show up with my mule, my my client's mule, who I love to death, um, unclipped with no tail. Um, and we did not have the, you know the fancy saddles or anything like that because I just wanted to show and rip the bandaid off. I love showing, and it was definitely terrifying. Like I was terrified. I was like, so many people are watching, and people actually know who I am, and they will be judging me, and yep. yada yada yada. And I went in there with. I'm a big believer that when you show, you don't show for ribbons, you show for good rides. That's how I was raised. And I'm very thankful for that. So I went in there, and our first class was our trail pattern. We aced that. I came out of there super happy. And then second was ranch pattern. We did that super happy. And then I have a really big passion for raining. And we went in there and absolutely best ride I've ever had on this mule in front of all these people. It was live stream. My mom was watching. I came out of that arena crying, crying, happy, happy, happy tears. Um, I was texting her owner saying we just had the best ride. I couldn't believe this. People kept asking me if something was wrong. And I was like, no. I am Everything's so, right. I, everything. It was just one of those rides that you work for. And uh, I will try not to cry now. But then they announced that I play six, which is a huge deal at this show. And there was just even more tears. And I will tell you, I got the weirdest looks because I did a little photo shoot with my sixth place ribbon where I was crying in most of it. And uh, and people people just lose sight of that. They kind of lose sight. They always go for those blue ribbons if you don't get it. But that sixth place ribbon meant so much to me. And it just kind of... Made it easy, okay. like, going back in there. So, I'm going to ask the question, because I'm sure a lot of people, well, how many people were in that division? Um, there were nine in that division. Okay. All right. So, I will tell you that I, in my, um, in my office, I have a six-place ribbon. Like, it is on the wall. Okay? Mm-hmm. A lot of ribbons, I cut them up. I just keep the rosette. But no, 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 there's a sixth place ribbon, there's a third place, and then there's another one I've kind of forgotten, you know, about them. But I remember at the time it meant a lot to me that I put it on the wall. But, yeah, people forget about how... so forget about it. And I will tell you, competing in the open division, the first time I ever competed in the open division, I did so well because I didn't think I had a chance. So I wasn't in my head because I was just like whatever gotta compete in open and then i ended up third at nationals but and i think there were seven seven or nine i mean it, it wasn't like i beat 50 people or nothing <laughs> okay it was i think it was a single digit and if it wasn't then it was like 11 <laughs> but i don't care that third place ribbon felt just for me to place above anyone and that doesn't mean anything because i could have had the best ride in my life and and other people just could have had the yep. best light at, ride of their life, you know, that could have been mm-hmm. higher up than mine. So that doesn't mean anything to to get last in the professional division. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, and judging is so subjective. I mean, it could, like, your judge could simply not like the color of horse you're riding or the color of mule or didn't like one thing you did. Um, and it was it, it was just a cool experience because the mule I was riding is one that sums up my training. Um, I have had her in training with me for three or four years. So she is 
all her flaws are mine and all of her positives are mine. And the fact that she went in there and she hasn't been shown either in probably about a year and a half and performed that well with my training on top of that. And then I didn't get in her way. Like, like, that's my baby. That's my baby. Oh my gosh. I was crying, (laughs) texting her. It was, and I don't like crying in public. I'm not, I do not show like showing emotion. And I was bawling in front of all these workers that were just like, kind of staring at me like, what is wrong with her? And I want, and I, I feel comfortable being able to say this to Lauren, but you know how some people cry and they're pretty. Lauren's not a pretty no, crier. Sure. No. I'm that person, like, I try to, like, stone face it, and I'm like, I'm not going to cry. And then I just turn into a blubbery mess with snot coming. I think it's oh, not yeah. good. Oh, yeah. So I'm one of those criers where my face turns patchy. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, everything starts flowing, and then it makes me gag. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then I have people all the time, they're like, well, what's a pretty crier look like? I was like, there are pretty criers out there. Oh, yeah. It ain't me. Yeah, the one where they got like the little lip oh my quiver God. and yeah. the one big tear that You're goes like, so all the way down and gets their shirt wet. And yeah. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, I understand. Okay, so let's talk about um, you are now, instead of just breeding uh, for mules, what else are you looking at? So, I have a client that's bringing a Percheron stud into my barn to show and breed draft crosses with. And then um, we're also going to be seeing if an APHA stud has what it takes to become a stud. So we are branching out a little bit. All right. So APHA? American Paint Horse. Okay. Association. Association, That's, yeah. that's that last day. Okay. So, man, I don't know who's listening. I mean, because we have followers all over the United States and different parts of the world. But the draft cross horses around oh. here are bringing re- it so this is a grade horse grade means that it's not going to be registered and it is half draft okay draft horses are the big old donkey kong ones like big thick like the um, budweiser clydes yeah. like they're draft horses yeah but those draft crosses will they bring so much money I in our area tell you we had we just had our boone county um sale mm-hmm. our spring sale and the highest draft like draft crosses were averaging 20 to thirty thousand dollars yep and the ones that were lame which means that they um, were hurt in some way were about bringing fifteen thousand dollars i wonder what why i didn't know they'd sell a lame horse oh yeah there was i'll show you some videos yeah there's uh, some well some of them you know like if they just on the injured list you know what i mean or like that, it just needs or to get fixed they traveled a long way and yeah. they're sore from the traveling like the stuff happens horses are horses at the end right. of the day but usually those horses at auctions wouldn't bring that price tag but they're bringing 15 20 000 price tags even with that yeah so well and like i've every horse and mule that i own has been lame you know in their life oh yeah yeah i mean like it happens yep not a big deal like if they step on a stone they can just stone bruise it and sometimes i'm like i don't see nothing wrong (laughs) why are you limping they're like it hurts (laughs) and i'm like i think you have figured it out no it hurts Because as soon as our horses are lame, then I stop riding them. They go in the pasture, you know. And they usually I, get brought up for extra food mm-hmm. and brushing and They're checking. They're just like, I'm limping, I promise. Yeah, I promise, it hurts <laughs> real bad. So you're talking about three studs. Three yeah, I'll stu- actually, so I actually have four because oh. I have my Jack that I stand currently, but he is 27, mm-hmm. um, which means that I need to either start looking for a replacement or try to breed one out of him. And I have talked to some really um, experienced people in the breeding of donkeys because I don't know much about it. And they say it is hard, hard to get a donkey bred. 
Um, oh, really? Yeah, especially one that's been making, uh, that has been breeding to mares all of his life. Uh, because it's weird for him. That's not his normal. Right. So, so so if a donkey's used to breeding with a horse, then he's just like, get out of here. Yeah, he's like, mm, you smell kind of weird. <laughs> like, yeah. he, I'm used to breeding horses. Yeah, he's got long ears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what's so funny is I think that my, you know, my mules are used to being around horses. Like, you know, their mother's a horse, yep, right? Yeah. And then when they see other mules, they're just like, what? <laughs> what are you? Who are you? I know, and, and I'm like, they have no concept that they're looking at themselves. You they're know, in a basic, special, special creatures. Oh my gosh, you've got. If you've never been around a mule, your life is not as good as it could be. Yep. Because they are just, they're just goofy. I mean, like literally goofy. Yep, that's the best word. <laughs> so, Jojo has these massive lips, and he's always he will put my entire hand in his mouth, not bite me, and then I'm like, bro, dude. Like, for real? <laughs> I mean, and I'm like, it was a peppermint from Sonic, but yet my whole hand is wet, and he's just like, oh, mama, thank you for that Sonic mint. Oh. <laughs> and see, so the mule I took to Houston, her name was Hattie Mae, and the um, ground, so there was two warm-up arenas in the arena, and it was super deep sand, and we had to pop Hattie up twice because she wanted to roll. One, which was in her showmanship class. So you're showing her in halter, and she was in lineup for the judge to inspect. And she didn't, wasn't even sniffing the ground or nothing, but she just decided that that spot was a good place to roll, and she dropped and roll. And you're over here like, we're trying to do something yeah. fancy. Get up. We drove to Houston. Yeah. Oh, my God. So in Mounted Archery, my first um, national-level competition that we we hosted one here in Missouri – Anyways, if you you have to canter the entire time, and if you break down, then it's a disqualification. JoJo had to pee, so he stops. The gets, poor baby, he, and like <laughs> and like he really had to pee. He oh. stretches out like a little puppy does, stretches out and pees like to the point that the photographer got tired of taking pictures <laughs> of me being like, "What, JoJo?" <laughs> Jojo had to pee right here, right now, not at the end of the course. No, no. And it took us less than 16 seconds to get down the entire course, okay? But this one, he's like, no, this 16 seconds is when I have to pee. Nope, I have got to go right now. Yeah, so they're so goofy. Okay, so you um, you said that you had a horse in training for three to four years. So explain, or a mule. Yeah. Um, how does that happen? Do they not have land, or they? What are they doing? So they do have land. They actually bred her. Um, they had her since she was an itty bitty baby, all the way grown up. And just the fact that they both have been working so much, and the lady that rides, because it's a couple, it's a husband and wife. Um, she had to have two knees replaced. Okay. And then she kind of stopped riding, and she wanted to let her husband live her dream, his dream of raising blood to counts. Okay. So she kind of put a lot of time into that, but she didn't really want to sell her, so she just kind of hung out with me. Okay. She just kept her with me because she wanted her to have a purpose. She wanted her to have a job. She wanted her to continue her education. And Okay. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, I, I did an interview with a lady named... Um, Hannah Kaufman. Yep, yep. And Hannah is a barrel racer. Completely different people that I'm interviewing that I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm like, 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 you cannot be any more different. But, um, well, not really. Um, but Hannah refuses to do 
30, 30 days. You know, 30 days is just hardly anything, you know, and she prefers 90 days or even longer because she's training for futurity horses. Yeah. Um, so what is, how many, so tell me the struggles with 30 days only. And do you think like a minimum, are you okay with 30 days or do you think there should be 60 or 90? What do you prefer? So in a perfect world, it would be 60 or 90. But the realistic side of it is a lot of these people can't necessarily afford to send their horse off for 60 or 90 days of training. Um, So 30 days, I do not take anything that has under probably about six months of riding on 30 days because I don't see it. I don't really see a point to it. I think it's a waste of the owner's money. And I tell them that I'm very honest with that. Um, 30 days, the struggle is, is that it seems like the first week you're getting to know the horse. The second week they're testing you. And then the third and fourth week, you might be able to get something done. Okay. And that's, and that's hard. Um, I have taken some really well broke out horses for 30 days, but we have that conversation with the owner up front about being very honest about what their expectations are. Cause that's a big deal for me. I'm like, what is your expectations for these 30 days? I like to put base my training program all on what the owner desires, all what they want. And 60 or 90, so my Colts, if, they, if I'm breaking something out, they have to be with me for a minimum of 60 days, prefer 90 days. Okay. All right. So, Lens, so tell me about, you're about to jump into this new adventure. So, tell us about that because whenever this um, podcast airs, she'll already have that in motion. All right. So, go ahead and tell them. So I have been, for the past five or six years, working as a vet tech and doing the equine side of it, training, breeding on the side, end quotes. Um, it's, so with the help of some people and some pushing in the, from the right people, um, I have purchased my first property, which has, um, with some partners of mine, which has 16 stalls, indoor arena, outdoor arena, and 17 acres on it. So I will be making the jump to full-time equestrian, which is terrifying, um, and we will be focusing on breeding and training and doing lessons out there. And the thing that I am the most excited about are the draft crosses. I know. <clears throat> Not just because of their potential, you know, their income potential, which is really cool, but those horses are beautiful and they are thick, yep. but they're not like ridiculous thick. Like with um, <clears throat> with draft horses, their hooves are so large it's a very specialized farrier to come in, yep, you know. Yep. And so a lot with, of farriers won't work on draft horses. No, I mean it's a I mean that hoof is just the same size as their face. But with a draft cross, you know, it's manageable. It's just a much larger hoof. Yep. So it's like you're getting well, you know the world's getting fatter, right? <laughs> so it is kind of nice to have draft cross horses just because then they're they're able to carry our chubby butts around well that and it seems that these past like three or four years the big ranches have realized how um positive the draft horses can be that they can pull even bigger calves on them and they last generally a little bit longer and they're hardier Mm -hmm. so they has really exploded in the ranch side of it and then the draft cross market has just kind of taken off okay so and my okay so if i'm wrong i'm wrong but you know what the bigger they are the closer they are to heaven like they're sweeter and like these little bitty horses they're (laughs) like close to the devil so it seems like the bigger an animal is and that's a very big generalization and i know that there's going to be outliers everywhere but our largest animal 
is just the sweetest thing that she could ever be. And it literally, if we stacked them up from tallest to shortest... It goes from nicest to meanest, that same <laughs> line, okay? So, I don't know. It just seems like they're bigger, and, they're, and they're, they tend to be nicer, it well, seems like. that's true. So, I did a re- – because I'm a very curious person. I like to know the facts behind things. So, I did a – I went into the depth. Like, why does it seem like smaller horses are a little bit more feisty and the bigger ones are sweeter? Well, back when they imported all these horses over – they, they only bred the nice ones and the bigger ones because they couldn't manhandle them versus, like, the smaller ponies. They thought they could manhandle them. I'm going to oh, use yeah. the word thought because yeah. we all know that's not true. So that's why, like, they've just kept those lines of just sweet old big horses. I mean, there's going to be right. exceptions to every rule. Right. But that's the history behind it is that these men thought they could just manhandle these smaller horses and push them around and work in the mines. But the big horses are like, oh, they're like 17, 18, 19 hands. We need to breed, like, sweetness into them. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Because if I had a a big animal and then it realized that it could be, like, a killer, like, I would be like, ah, you're working We would be in so much trouble. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got to go now. Yesterday, you got to go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, with training people, what what? What's the number one thing if you could tell someone, like, what's the thing that you're always saying that you're like, man, I have said this so much that could help people with um, with their horsemanship. And whenever I say horsemanship, I also, I just don't want to say horsemanship, millmanship, okay? Like oh, yeah, I, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Um, so the big thing that I harp on and I'm very passionate about is taking lessons before you purchase a horse and getting that knowledge down. And then when you go to buy a horse, and I've seen like this past year, I've been saying this a lot. When you go to purchase a horse, have a trainer with you or someone knowledgeable and buy within buy, buy with something that will be compatible with you. Right. So people like to buy like the fanciest stuff and the, the things that are flashy and go-go-y when they really need like the good old bay quarter horse that has been there done that um and i like a lot of people seem to have this generalization that trainers are just out for money and that we're all evil and snooty and stuff when the good majority of us are not and a lot of us get into this business because we want to help right and i just that's i seem to keep telling people that is that i just i'm here to help i'm here to help you i'm help to make sure that you keep safe right that you have a safe mount and that you can reach your goals so, I mean, like, I I have got to meet a ton of trainers, and there are some out there that will sell you something that is doped up, and yep. then that horse is, if it you break your neck, oh, well, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, it's not your their problem. problem. Yeah, there are some, there's some bad things that go on in the horse world, and then there's amazing things where yes. I, I don't allow people to be in my life that have if they if I ever see a trainer do something like that's in a negative step towards an animal or a negative step towards a person and I don't mean like you know being you know doing an over under on them getting onto yeah. nothing like that but no I mean like a legit bad step something truly them. astonishing yeah they are out of my life yep. and they're they're not allowed back here and they're we're done right but then the people that I have in my life, um, they are so honest. So, like, I had a lady bring a horse to me, and uh, <clears throat> it was 
they were having issues with it running off when as soon as they got on and I was like "Ooh, I'm not the trainer for this but I'm going to take it to this Amish trainer that I trust his name is Sam uh, Shetler okay so Sam got on the horse rode it for a week and then whenever I went and checked on the horse he was like this horse is never going to be for a child never going to be for a novice and I was like okay so then we helped place that horse with the appropriate person and sold it. That is the people that you need to have in your life. Yep. There are so many people that are stuck with a horse that doesn't work for them. And if it's got, if it's beautiful, they're going to dump that animal on you and then run away. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have got to, if you're a first time horse or mule owner, you need to look out. Don't be buying something without knowing something else about that or having another person go and talk to them. Um, I like to now, whenever I'm purchasing an animal, I want to keep it for a week or two. At and least. Write, yeah, At and, least. And write a contract because my husband and I have gotten burned so bad so bad i mean they see me ride all the time and they're like oh this horse just needs to be rode more and no it's a a horse that's got some major problems so like i just want you to make sure that you are uh, make sure you have the right people in your life that are going to look out the what's best for you what's best for your ability what's best for your children for your grandchildren yep and if you if they're um if they're doing something wrong, you've got the wrong person in your life to help you. And okay. it is okay to switch trainers. It is okay to learn from different people. Oh, yeah. I am such a big believer that, like, your training is a toolbox, and you can always learn something from someone, and you might, and you can just put it in your toolbox. And you might not use that tool for the next five horses, but the sixth horse, you might. Yeah. Well, you know, I am more of, like, a grassroots person. I am – I like to take people from the very beginning – and then I I am good with, like, people that are scared, people that don't know anything, and then first time to take a lesson. Because to tell you the truth, um, I'm doing these, these higher-end trainer, trainers a favor by me helping them address some yep. issues just to understand that you can use your leg or your seat. A lot of people don't even know that at all. And so I love when people outgrow me. Because I know that they've got a good, solid foundation. And then I want them to go on to do the fancy things. So, I mean, it's okay to... I, I use probably three trainers. One of them is like my primary one. And then and then I like to take um, a, a lesson with somebody, just kind of sprinkle it in to see if it gets worded a different way. Yep. Just the fact that earlier in this podcast, you said they were being just a passenger. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's what it is. They're not being an active learner. They're being a passenger. So, like, I learned something during this podcast just from having a conversation. And I was always, and again, I had a lot of amazing people in my younger life that shaped me into the person I am today. And I had a trainer tell me, if your trainer does not have at least one trainer, you need to get another trainer. Because yeah. in this industry, if you think you know all, you are a dangerous, dangerous person. Yeah. Whenever you think you know all, you know nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So I actually had, I've been a big fan of Lauren ever since I met her. You know, she's just got some great work ethic in her. And if she doesn't know something, she'll take the time to learn it. And then I actually had her be a presenter last year at the first ever Missouri Horse yep. Expo. She, you know what, that event, we were, um, 
we were at capacity for our yep. facility and my vendors that were there selling things said that they sold more stuff at our small trail riding um, expo than what they did at larger things. So, Lauren, how how was that with being at the first Missouri Horse Expo? Um, it was definitely an honor. Um, it was my first time ever being at an expo. So not only was it the first Missouri Horse Expo, but it was my first time being at an expo. And it was an amazing experience, something I learned a lot about. I'm super excited for this year. Yeah. Um, it It's something that you just you can see grow. The presenters that were here were amazing. Brandy has an amazing talent of just – finding the right people that make this puzzle and it makes a beautiful picture. And it, it was, it was something that I'm very much looking forward to this year. So yeah, last year, I think we just had, um, we had you do the same thing for three days in a row, but this year I'm making each day different. Friday is different than Saturday and Saturday is different than Sunday. I want to make it to where people are excited about coming each one of the three days. Which I think is an amazing idea. Yeah, it just means triple the amount of lectures and triple the amount of work and triple the amount of clinicians, but that's okay. It's okay. It's fine. It's okay. You know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So, and you're training people's horses. You're teaching clinics. You're co-teaching. You are being a presenter at Expos. Yep, I'm taking on consignment horses and mules. Okay, consignment meaning that you're going to help sell them. Yep, help them place in the right home. Okay, so, and then you're doing a breeding program. Yep, we are really shooting that up this year. Okay, so, and then um, the only thing it, we have also to talk about is judging. Okay, uh-huh. so Lauren has been, she's... She's a very dependable judge, and she's a very fair judge. So tell me some of the behind-the-scenes things that are that you love and things that you hate, okay, about judging. Okay, so I, lo- I love judging. I love judging. I've always been one that I love watching people and how they better themselves and what they can work on and help being a part of that step to better themselves. And that's how I look at judging is that judging is just another capacity of teaching someone, helping someone learn and grow, um, making it a positive experience. So something I love about judging is the fact that I do get to see these competitors grow and I get to see how hard they work. And if you don't think your judges notice that they do. Um, and it is something that it, like I very much admire and it moves me to better myself. Um, some of the cons of judging are the facts that you might be out in the woods for like three hours uh, yep, and some things have to happen. <laughs> um, and the fact that uh, sometimes you don't always make everybody happy. Okay, and I'm yeah. very much a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to help everybody, and sometimes that help is hearing something that they don't necessarily want to hear. And I don't mean in a rude way, but that something needs to be improved upon. And the fact that I, you can see the disappointment in their face. Oh yeah, I hate and crushing. Yeah. yeah, I I don't I don't mean to crush people. Whenever sometimes I've said something, and you know what, it stuck with them for years. Like years. I've had people that um oh girl, this has happened to me twice. Okay, and I don't even mean to mess up, and I didn't know I messed up until someone else told me that I had messed up, okay, because it had just crushed this person. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. This is Brandy crushing the life of Confessions people. Confessions 101. Oh, my gosh. All, I had people that had competed in novice, and then I was just like, hey, you need to compete up. Okay? So 
the way that that was me, that to me, I was just like, dang, girl, you're, you're good. doing so good. You're Let's good. move you up. The way that it was, but you know, the what you intend and the way it's perceived are two different things. The way that it was taken was that I was telling them basically that they were like cheaters or that oh. they were down there doing something bad. And I'm over here like, man, you're so good. You should move up. Yeah. You know, I'm over here like, yay, like in my own little world. Yeah, just like, you did so good. Like you need to move up, you know, but like I don't know how it was said with my tone or something, but it has made people, it, two people, it, it messed them up. And I was like. There was no intention there, but they, you know, people get pretty messed up about competition. They do. They, and I have been messed up about competition, especially since I used to do that full contact fighting and stuff. Like, yep. I've been messed up about competition. Yep. Girl, there's some, like, things that if I ever have, like, you know, that memory gets lit, I'm going to tell you, like, 27 details about something, and you're going to be like, whoa, you know? Yeah, I know exactly long- what you mean. <laughs> like, I just got wrapped up into some stuff. And it's uh, now, with us hosting events and judging and and doing the training, I try to be a lot more aware of how they're going to perceive stuff. But then at the same time, I've got to put that on them a little bit because, like, they should have talked to me about it. Yep. And yes. I, and it's something that um, I used to be a CHA certified, uh, which is um, oh, certified horseman. Yes, association. Association. I yeah. was an assistant while in my younger teaching days. I'm a certified assistant with them, and they taught me something really great, which is you sandwich stuff. You do something good they did, something they need to work on, and something they another thing that they did that was really good Mm -hmm. um and that seems to have kind of doused the fire sometimes like there are those times where I just really said something wrong or it was portrayed in the wrong way um because all these judges out here and I will probably group most of us together no matter what association you're in we want to see you succeed we want to see you go higher so those words are just meant to help you improve yeah. yourself yeah i i have a blog on our website it's vonholtonranch.com and on there underneath our trail and camping uh tab there's something called trail talk well in there i post all of my old articles well there's an article about putting the judge back on the pedestal yep so you know a lot of times uh, if you're a judge people just hold you so high up on this like they think what you say is such um a reflection of exactly how they are and um and then other people need to be nicer to judges so it's like this whole weird dynamic with being a judge because you have to make sure you don't say anything wrong and then people have to make sure that they respect you and don't because it's subjective judging it like is if subjective. you if you give them a four out of ten and then they don't disagree with you well they don't get to argue with you about nope. it they just have to ask you like what can i do to improve and then they've just got to take that and don't be like well you're wrong okay so they've got to not do that but then they've also got to be like that's her opinion of a snapshot yep you know so like i don't know um judging I actually try to not judge at Von Holten Ranch because I'm the I'm the face of our facility and then if someone ends up losing and it's by point two five, 
they have not come back because they're just like, oh, she didn't want me to win. And I'm over here like, I don't even remember your run. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep, so. yep. <laughs> I don't know. There's just like a whole dynamic, like love your judges, you know, ask them questions. Thank them. Yeah, thank them most definitely. Um, don't come to them right after it and be like, do you remember on that fourth obstacle, did, uh, did I turn to the left or did I look down? You know, they're not going to know the specifics. No, after seeing <laughs> 43 runs, like it just runs together at the end of it. And you're just like, I'm tired. I yeah. usually have to pee. Like, it, <laughs> I don't remember. And yeah. don't take offense to that. If a judge does not remember your run, just don't take offense to it. Because there's just a lot going on in the day. So what's your, what's your end goal? Like what's something that, all right, you know, Lauren's in her 20s. So what do you want to do? But well, I know you're about to do it, get this breeding up and going, yes. but do you have like something like I have big, big, big goals, you know, that I'm wanting to do. And uh, I don't even, some of them I can't even say on here right now. Ooh, super secret stuff. I know. I love it. <laughs> so the big dream, which I always thought that it was just a far out dream, but it is becoming more of a reality and we are taking steps in that um, way is I am a big believer in veterans um, benefits and helping our veterans out. I do not feel like they get treated right. Um, I, I come from a full family that has served and I served for a very short time and I know what it's like to sign your name on that dotted line saying that you will take a bullet for someone. You'll take a bullet for a complete stranger. It's something that it, it, it sits with you. Um, and I want to do therapeutic riding with horses, with equine, um, and kind of help our veterans out in that way because the studies out there that how much horses and mules and, or any equine, um, help people with mental illnesses or PTSD is astonishing. And there's only two facilities in the U S right now that do it. And they're booked out months and months and months in advance. And I just think that's unacceptable. Right. Well, with the suicide rates of our veterans, it's astonishing. It's it's, it's so sad, mm-hmm. you know. And I've had some veterans in my life that have called suicide lines and stuff, and there was no one there to be able to help them, or like there wasn't like someone to be like, okay, you need to talk to someone. And I, I no. just, I think that's totally unacceptable. My dad, um, during the latter part of his life, lived at a VA home. And when you drived up, you saw a sign that says the price of freedom is seen here. And that just stuck with me. Whoa, that's like, that's staggering. That's I mean, that's sta- like- especially walking in there and seeing how the veterans were treated. It was like, wow. Yeah. This is unacceptable. And so I just want to make my part difference. And I want to help as much as I can. And that is a big dream of mine. That's something that is really starting to become a reality and be able to be attainable. So, Well, I think, you know what? See, this right here is why Laura and I get along. You know, I had a pretty rough childhood. And now with my children's books that are agriculture-based, I'm wanting, I mean, like the third book that's about to come out in my series is about how having a bad childhood does not define you as an adult. Yep. I mean, my first book was about how one positive person can make a difference in the world. You know, a lot of people think that they that it doesn't matter that they're here, that they can't make that a difference. change, yep. Well, and you know, I have had people come into my life, and I have impacted them, and I've gotten to see 
the difference. And there's been people in my life, I mean, just the smallest thing, like my martial arts instructor, the why I moved here, you know, everybody always tried to get me to lose weight, lose weight. You're going to fight so much better whenever you lose weight, right? Like, oh, you're going to be able to move so much better when you lose weight, right? Well, then my instructor was like, okay, so let's use the tools that you got in your toolbox. And yep. I was like, well, that's what? weird. <laughs> oh, my God. Love you. You're not driving me this way. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah, they wanted me to be fit. And I had to, you know, I was always, always on my journey of trying to lose yeah. weight. But they accepted me for like, okay, let's see things that you do well. And then. I, I did really well as a fighter, and, like, I literally, like, as soon as I said those words to you, I could feel like this, uh, like a like a, a weight is lifted off of me, you know, yep, which is yep. ironic that I'm talking about weight, but, <laughs> no, I can feel that relief now, and, you know, it's just really cool to see, um, you know, a lot of people that are Lauren's age, because you are, how old are you? 24. 24. They don't know what the heck they're doing. You know, a lot of people do, though. You know, like, I hate whenever um, the world doesn't think that young people can do things, you know. But it is really cool because I do see young people that are so lost and they don't have a clue what they want to do. And then I see the high achievers. So, all right. So, if you could, what is the one thing in your horsemanship that you wish that you could talk to your younger self about? That you would be like, oh, man. Fix that. Um, mine is going to be don't be getting jealous over what other people have that you don't. Because you don't know what kind of battles they're going through and how blessed you are in situations. And I've felt this a lot recently because I have had such amazing opportunities. And I remember just being eaten by jealousy in my younger years and being so hateful towards other people because they had something that I wanted. I couldn't understand why I could not have that. Mm. When they were dealing with their own with their own their own battles right so that's the biggest advice because i was just eating up with i missed a lot of opportunities because hmm. see in my i think for myself it would be that that i'm okay like i don't know i uh never thought that i was really like good enough and now and i would always try to achieve and achieve and achieve well now achievement for me is kind of uh it's a habit you know what I mean? Because I'm used to um, putting in the work and, like, yep. setting goals and stuff. So I'm going to keep the positive part of that. But how that, how that like, addiction almost to achievement was started was uh, just because I was trying to get people's approval. And now now it's just a habit. Now I, I enjoy it. So it's kind of like something started for a negative reason, but I keep it because of all the positives that come from it. So... I don't know, like, that would be it, and I wish that I would have got into, jo- like, I used to be into jogging, wish I would have stayed with that. <laughs> stayed with the cardio. <laughs> All right, so this right here, Lauren McCain, how do they get in touch with you? Um, you can find me on Facebook on Graceful Equines, um, or you can, you can edit you can find me on facebook at graceful equines and that's will be the easiest way to get a hold of me okay well what if if facebook crashes and burns do you have a different way just in case you have like instagram or anything yeah instagram is gonna be lg mccain 
Also have a TikTok, if you're on TikTok, that is Graceful Equines. I'm slightly addicted <laughs> yeah, so to TikTok. Am I. <laughs> kind of it's like a dirty little secret that you have that you're like, okay. I love TikTok. Like, sometimes my husband would be like, hey, I'm going to watch TV. And I'm like, awesome. I'm going to go watch TikTok. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I know I'm too old for it, but then I'm not. No, I love, I'm slightly addicted. And by slightly, I mean I'm overly addicted to TikTok. <laughs> but so you can totally find me on there on Graceful Equines. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I hope that you enjoyed meeting Lauren McCain right here on Big Boss Mare with Brandy Von Holton. <laughs>